0: that's Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 663 of the Pew Bibles. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers, and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what i had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads, while the fools walk in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all things I toil toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil, into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth, to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind.
1: Good morning, everyone. Warm enough? It's freezing, isn't it? I grew up in Barrel, and I hate Barrel now. Everybody else loves it, but I hate it. I go and visit my mother every now and again, but I stay away otherwise. Well, please keep your Bible open to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. That's the passage we'll be looking at this morning um, as we work our way slowly through this uh, very interesting and sometimes puzzling and perplexing book. Uh, Most people who are wealthy uh, tend to use their money for two ends. They either use it to indulge themselves or they use it to help other people. And as we saw last week, Solomon, the wisest man on earth in his day and also probably the richest, used his money to embark on a great research project, one of the greatest of all times, to find out the meaning of life. And we looked briefly at these verses last week, but let's look at them again. Chapter 1 and verses 12 and 13. We didn't read that, but... um, Uh, I'm going to start there this morning. Verse 12, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. That's the project. That's what Solomon set out to do, to study and to explore all that is done under the heavens, to find out the meaning of life. And he tells us up front what he's concluded. Firstly, he says life under the sun is burdensome and it's futile. Verses 13 and 14. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So if you've ever wondered why you felt like you're carrying the burdens or the worries of the world on your shoulder, Uh, As though every footstep, every decision is a difficulty. Well, here's the reason. Life under the sun is burdensome, says the teacher. And for all intents and purposes, it appears to be futile and meaningless. But secondly, he says, life under the sun is twisted in verse 15. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. See, life is not straightforward. There's a twistedness to it uh, that pervades every aspect of it. It's like you know the the little headset that you you know you stick in your pocket and you pull it out and you've got to untangle it every time. That's what life is like. It seems to forever be in knots. And the third conclusion he comes to is that wisdom seems to be unable to come to grips with the meaninglessness and twistedness of life. So if you look in verse 16, I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also to madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom... Comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Now, the ancient world had a very strong tradition of wisdom, as I mentioned last week, and to some extent they thought that there was nothing you could not solve without wisdom. There was nothing you could not do without it. But Solomon says here very clearly wisdom is limited. It can't solve all problems. It's not the panacea for all the difficulties that we experience. But to some extent, the wiser the, uh, you are, the more you know, the more you ache. He seems to be suggesting, doesn't he, that ignorance is bliss. I was reading the other day about a teacher who wrote on a student's report card, if ignorance is bliss, then your son is going to have a wonderful life. Now, I'm not sure the teacher is, is uh, saying that we're better off being ignorant, that we, that we ought to be fools, but he certainly is saying that wisdom is limited. There are some questions it cannot answer and some problems that it cannot solve. So here are his conclusions. Life is burdensome and futile. Life is twisted. And thirdly, wisdom is limited. But how did he arrive at those conclusions? Well, he tells us in chapter 2, the chapter that we've just looked at. And the first thing that he did was look to pleasure to see if he could find meaning and satisfaction in it. And as you look through the list of things that he tried, you could easily have been a 21st century Australian, couldn't he? He tries laughter and fun, first of all, in verses 1 and 2. And that's what many people do nowadays, isn't it? Uh, rather than think about the meaning of life and the serious questions of life, they just laugh it off, make a joke of it. But Solomon found that that doesn't work. It proved to be meaningless. And so in verse 3, he turned to the bottle. He decided to head down to the local pub, prop up the bar for a while and see if he could find the meaning of life down there. There was an ad a couple of years ago for To New, Uh, where the bloke walks into the bar with his little dog you remember that ad and the and the sign said no dogs and so he puts his sunglasses on as he goes in and uh, the bar guy the man behind the bar says didn't you read the sign mate no dogs allowed and he says that's a guide dog mate guide dogs are labradors he says what did they give me he says Uh, I saw a lady uh, on the bus around that time use that same thing. She got on the bus with her little dog and the uh, bus driver said, "Uh, there's no dogs allowed. And she said, it's a guide dog. Uh, She was sent off the bus. But um, you might find some characters down the bar having a beer, but Solomon says you will not find the meaning of life there. And so he moved on to the garden and so in verse 4, he built gardens and parks, he planted fruit trees and he built reservoirs. Uh, Susan and I have just come back from holidays a few weeks ago and one of the places we visited was Schönbrunn Palace in Vienna. Anyone been there? It's crazy, isn't it? It's a wild place. So one of the homes, just one of the homes, mind you, of the Habsburgs who ruled Europe for 600 years. And it's it's over the top, gardens, thing it's just crazy place a couple of years ago we were driving past a garden shop that had a sign out the front which said when life doesn't satisfy satisfy and friends let you down there's always the garden well the teacher has the garden he's got the trees and the ponds he's got the whole works and you know what the sign outside the garden shop is wrong When life doesn't satisfy, satisfy, he discovered the garden won't either. And so he moves on to acquiring a huge workforce of slaves to look after his every fancy. He looks to sex. He accumulates a harem, 700 wives and concubines. That's two for every day of the year. Uh, He acquires gold and silver, livestock. You name it, he tried it, he owned it. Uh, and all of the things that you know, we people look to traditionally to bring them pleasure and meaning, he acquired, he had. But look at his conclusion, verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. So it's pretty clear, isn't it? Meaning cannot be found in pleasure. Uh, crossed that off the list moved on to the next thing and the next thing is wisdom verse 12 then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly what more can the king's successor do than what he has already done I saw that wisdom is better than folly just as light is better than darkness the wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness but I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless, for the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. What's he saying? Well, he concedes there's some advantage to wisdom. Uh, The wise man at least has eyes in his head. He knows what's going on around about him. He understands life and people while the fool just trips and stumbles his way through life. But in the end, he says, it's a narrow advantage because the same end will uh, come to both of them. In the end, they'll both die. So you can go off to university and acquire lots of letters after your names, become rich and influential, But you end up in the same place as the person who spent their life behind the poking machine with a cigarette in their hand and a beer in the other. Same fate awaits us all. And Solomon says this too is meaningless. Meaning is not found in wisdom. So he crossed that off the list as well and he moves on then to work. Work. And lots of people look for meaning in work, don't they? It's, it's certainly true that a lot of our significance is found in the work that we do. One of the first questions a stranger will ask you is, what do you do? But I'm sure you've wondered as you're heading off to work on Monday morning for another hard day, you know, what purpose is there in all of this effort? And certainly Solomon did. He says in verse 22 What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. So according to Solomon, all you get for your hard work is pain and grief and sleepless nights, but you do not find the meaning of life in work. And so it seems that, to this point, Solomon's experiment has failed. He's been looking for the meaning of life under the sun. He's devoted himself to the task. He's studied and explored pleasure, wisdom, work, but he has been unable to find meaning or fulfilment in any of it. It's been futile. He's been like a man trying to chase the wind and bottle it. It's not possible. And so his experiment has failed. But why has it failed? Well, it's interesting to note, as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, that there are lots of flags that keep pointing you back to Genesis 1 to 3, to the early chapters of the Bible. I mentioned in the first talk last week that the word meaningless itself can fairly accurately be be translated fallen, fallen. It's the same word given to Abel as, uh, as the, as, um, the, 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 the uh, son of uh, Adam and Eve. And, and of course, we saw that what happened to him was he was swept away by sin and by its stupidness. Uh, so there are lots of flags uh, back to Genesis 1 to 3. And those flags are here in this passage as well. There's the mention of the gardens that Solomon builds with fruit trees and reservoirs and waters and and flourishing trees, all language reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. There's the racing after sexual fulfilment, the search for meaning in work, the freedom from the mocking of death, which means the wise man and the fool end up in the same place. All of these, I think, are flags pointing us back to the beginning of the Bible. Because in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had all that, didn't they? They were placed in that idyllic setting, beautiful garden. They were fulfilled in their relationship with one another. They were naked and they had no shame. They had meaningful work looking after the garden that God had given them. And they had freedom from death because there was no death in the garden. It was was a place where life in God's presence would go on forever but with the fall all of that came to an end their work was cursed their relationships were scarred instead of loving and clinging to one another they started hiding from one another and killing one another they were thrown out of the garden and subjected to the mocking of death which made all of their efforts meaningless And what is happening in this chapter of Ecclesiastes is Solomon is trying to regain Eden by himself. He's trying to build himself another garden of Eden where he can be happy, where he can find meaning in his work and fulfilment in his relationships. And that's what we do, isn't it? Whenever mankind recognises that this world is not as it should be, then we either dream of a better world or else we try to create a better one ourselves. Coleridge dreamed of it. In Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately pleasure-dome decree where Alf the sacred river ran through caverns measureless to man down to a sunless sea. dream of paradise, this idyllic place where everything would be wonderful. Marx, through his Marxist program, tried to create that idyllic place. Uh, But all the dreams have remained just that, dreams. And all the programs have failed, just as the teacher's experiment failed. Because there is a futility to life, there's a twistedness to the world that no one can straighten out. And even wisdom, as great as it is, is unable to solve all the problems of this world because it is limited. This world is meaningless. It is fallen, as we saw last week. And we're being told here that mankind will not be able to recreate the garden, no matter how hard they try. The garden can only be regained by redemption. But we all try, don't we? We all dream of it like Coleridge, and we try to gain it like Marx and so many others. In our own little way, we try to make our world and this world more bearable and more pleasurable. Uh, The people who hop from one bed to the next, one lover to another lover, are searching not just for the physical sensation of sex, but for the intimacy that comes with being with another person. But they rarely find it because it's not found there person who spends their life at work climbing the corporate ladder it's not just after money and greater status they're also searching for meaning and significance but again it's it's generally elusive famous author Jack Higgins said I wish somebody told me when you get to the top of the ladder there's nothing there it's futile And even the great Australian dream, the dream of a quarter-acre block with a little house and the picket fence and the nice garden to play around with on the weekend, it's just a dream for security. It's an attempt to regain the Garden of Eden, to have that little piece of paradise that we can call our own. But Solomon is saying to us here in Ecclesiastes that you might have the garden, but you won't have the garden. You won't find it through pleasure or wisdom, or labour. The Garden of Eden will not be regained through human effort. It will only be regained by redemption. And so until Jesus returns and claims the victory that he won on the cross, we are destined to live in this meaningless fallen world. But how do we do that? What advice does the teacher have to help us live here and now? Well, have a look at the, the closing verses of this chapter. And this is, this is something he's going to keep on saying as we, go, as, he, as we go through these chapters. Verse 24 and 25. He says there, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? See, what's he saying there? Well, he's saying that there's a sense in which we need to enjoy life here and now because although this world is fallen, although it's not the Garden of Eden, there is still good in it. There's still enjoyment to be had. There are still vestiges, if you like, of the Garden of Eden around us that can ease the pain that life sometimes is. Probably heard how scientists you know talk about animals like crocodiles as you know the survivors of the dinosaur age. I think that's the idea in the passage here. The teacher has made it very clear that this world is fallen. If we expect it to be neat and tidy and just and fair, if we expect to make sense of it all the time, we'll be disappointed. It's none of those things. The world is not like that. But despite its untidiness and lack of meaning, there are vestiges of the Garden of Eden there present. And he says to us, enjoy the life in the world that you can to the extent that you can, because they are reminding us of of what we've lost. And so enjoy the flavour of a good bottle of red wine. Enjoy the taste of strawberries and ice cream or of a nice piece of crusty bread soaked with butter as long as your cardiologist says you can. Uh, Enjoy bouncing a baby on your knee. Enjoy the embrace from your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend. Enjoy the feeling of surveying a job well done. He says don't get so tied up in knots about looking for the meaning of life that you fail to enjoy the simple pleasures of life. Take time to smell the roses because these things are gifts from God and the wise person will enjoy them. They are vestiges of the Garden of Eden, of the garden we've lost, but they're also a foretaste of the Garden of God, the garden that we have yet to to gain, the kingdom of heaven that we will receive in the end. That's That's how we're to live in this fallen world. Remembering the past, looking forward to the future, enjoying the vestiges of all of that in the present. But the fool, verse 26, to the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless are chasing after the wind. So what happens to the fool? They're destined to just keep on gathering stuff that they'll lose in the end or give away along the way. If we want to live life in this world as faithful believers, then the teacher says we must not expect too much. This world is fallen, it is twisted, and it will resist all of our efforts to create a paradise of our own from it that strategy will not work. What we must do instead is enjoy the good gifts God has given us and see in them a sign of the garden we've lost, but of the garden that we regain as we trust in Christ and all that he's done for us. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this uh, realistic book. And we thank you for how helpful the advice of the teacher is. Uh, We confess that, uh, like him, we often try to carve out our own little paradises and search for meaning and find meaning in the pleasures and things that this world has to offer. We love to be applauded. We love to have stuff. But, Father, we know that um, those things don't satisfy. We've found that over and over again. And we pray that you would remind us uh, that we are simply to enjoy those simple pleasures of life that you give to us. Uh, and as we do, trust in Jesus and all that he has done, uh, remembering that we've, uh, we are still living in this fallen world. But we want to do it as, uh, in a way that pleases you and fearing you and looking forward to the kingdom that you've given to us through his death and resurrection. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.